pressure from Thomas off the edge. Eli Manning airs it out down the field. It is caught by Tyree. Oh my God. This ball's thrown and Tyree just goes up for it like a basketball player. Harrison trying to knock it down. That's a great catch by David Tyree. Uh, welcome back to another episode, Catch the Moment Podcast. It's your host, David Tyree, where we're going to get great done today. We're going to take you on the process. We're going to take you on this journey. And today I got a, a exciting new friend. Dan, welcome to the table, man. It's the orange table. It's good to have you. Nice, man. Thanks for having me. Excited this, to be here. We had to swap out, man. You have a, 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 a powerful story in of itself, uh, one that I know so many people have kind of glean from, but it's at, the, at the same time, um, we share we share some things in common and just being overcomers. But before we get to to the depth and, you know, I got questions in, in light of some of your past experience too, but always got to start with the moment. So what were, where were you um, when you first saw the helmet catch? What were your thoughts, any stories, any fun little takeaways from that moment? I don't know if you know this, but I was in the stadium. Let's go! I was there. February third. I was with my brother-in-law. We had season tickets for a long time to the Giants, so we sat together. So for y'all, old Giants Stadium, yeah. official. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, those we are the, love the old stadium. Man. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we went when when you guys made it to the Super Bowl. We were like, how how do we not go? Yeah, you know, and we were like, I don't know if we can afford this between the tickets <laughs> and the flights and all that, but we just felt like, man, it's this might not happen again. So it was a we drought. Need, it was we 17. need to be there. <laughs> we need to be there. So we went. We ended up sitting. We were in the upper deck. You know, not great yeah. seats, but we were we in the there. building. We were next to Brandon Jacobs, high school coach. Nice. Actually, that's who we sat next to. So he was giving us a little inside scoop during the game. That's my locker mate. But the the helmet catch, like I remember at halftime. First of all, we were just so excited that we were still in the game. No doubt. You know, and we were like, we just. We just want it to be close. Keep it a game. Keep this interesting the whole way through. No doubt. And then the fourth quarter started, and we were like, screw that. They, get, they need to win. Yeah. They need to win. And in that moment of the helmet catch, you know, we couldn't really tell what, was what happened. You know, so we, we didn't know how great the catch was. Sure. Uh, you know, we went wild just like everybody else, and we were like, all right, all right, all right. But things just kept moving. We didn't even see, you know, the, the replay yeah. on, on the Jumbotron. God, so, so you had like my perspective. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so we didn't really until that night when we were back at the hotel. Yeah. And you know, watching the replays on Sports Center or whatever, that was the first time we realized what actually happened. And we actually got the same story. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> we got the same story. Of course, that's the question I get asked the most. I mean, people all have, they have amazing, amazing experience and takeaways, but that was how it was. It was just I knew I made a great catch. Yeah. But I had no clue with the helmet. It's in the middle of a two-minute drill. I got to see if I'm in and out of the game or not. So it's always good. I'm glad you was. I'm glad you was in the desert. You know they called miracle. Got lots of names, but miracle in the desert is definitely yeah. fitting. All right. So we got to get into your your resume speaks for itself and your experience in television, entertainment, dance, etc. Um, I mean the the first question that comes off to my brain is, you know. We're probably in the same generation where there was a, I call them barriers to entry into so many different, you know, like now the internet has killed the barrier to entry in any industry. So in light of you kind of being in, in, in a fixture in choreography and dance and what that's done for so many different people from influencers to business, 
What's your thoughts on? I know it's I know everybody's excited about it, but how do you wean out the really good people? You know what I mean? Like, cause I kind of appreciate the old days where you had to be approved by somebody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's your thoughts on like both both sides of it? When I was, you know, like 20, 21, first getting started in the business, like so many businesses, it was all who you knew. There you go. Right. So there were so many good dancers, good choreographers, all that kind of stuff. So it was just about networking and taking class and meeting people. And, you know, 90% of the jobs that you would get hired for, you got hired for because you knew the choreographer or you knew someone else in the room, somebody involved. I was never the best dancer in the room, ever. I was never the best choreographer in the room, ever. Like, not even close. A humble statement reality, right? Well, it, it, was, it was the truth. It was, I was reliable. That's what you knew you were getting. You knew you were going to get the guy who was going to show up on time, who was going to work his ass off, mm -hmm. and he was going to get the job done. I hope they caught that right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, so if you needed somebody who was going to be crazy flashy sure. and doing flips and all that kind of stuff, I was not your guy. Okay. You know, and you weren't going to hire me. Yeah. But if, if you knew what you needed and a guy to learn the choreography and to be able to follow along, hit the right mark, look at the right camera, all that stuff. That's why I got hired. So, and, and as you said, it was about who you knew. And the same, some things still hold true to get today, but obviously anyone with a camera could create opportunities for themselves. Anyone with a phone, and i.e. the internet, which is super cool because at the end of the day, even with platforms like podcasts, they exist for, for all of us. So definitely no shade, but it does say something about the pre-social media guy who was out there Getting see really out here in the streets instead of the cyber streets. <laughs> well, listen, it's way different now. Yeah, like, I still have friends who are you know probably in their late thirties or so who are still in the industry in L.A. still trying to dance, <sighs> and you know they call them the kids, the damn kids, the damn kids. Yeah. You know, it's like, because so many get hired because of their social media following, yeah, and things like that. They're good dancers. But, you know, the, the producers are looking, well, how many followers do they have on Instagram? How many followers do they have on TikTok? Let's hire him. Instead of this guy who's been in the business killing himself for Kill years, him. they're going to hire the kid who's got the social media following, whatever, because it's like a built-in audience. And yeah. it's, it's, it's annoying. Yeah. But at the same time, I get it. I totally get you know, it. That's me. That's <laughs> me and you, we got a lot in common already. I, I, you know, like your, your approach, because even when you talked about what set you apart and what created avenues for you, it was reliability that was me i'm the old i'm the old 76 you know chevy you know like <laughs> there was nothing there was nothing so sexy about my game especially nope. as a wide receiver and as a special teams player that's the guy who's willing to do what most people aren't right that's it so really neat man so like mm -hmm. what was an opportunity that you saw that really cemented some things for you about what you could do i was at nyu uh, okay. college student studying journalism um, yeah. But okay. dancing at the same time, dancing on the weekends, teaching some classes, meeting people in the business. And um, from teaching class, uh, I became good friends with this guy who had just been hired to choreograph for Britney Spears. And he was, Ooh. now this was Britney Spears, like, baby one more time. Ooh. Like, right in the beginning, right? <laughs> First thing. 1999. <laughs> Long time ago. Yeah, it's two different Britneys that, you know. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this was pre-going. Oh, yeah, little, yeah. You know. So he hired me, same thing, all who you know, right? No doubt. So he said, hey, do you want to, do you want to dance? I'm like, yeah, let's, <laughs> let's do it. That'd be awesome, you know? Yeah. And that experience, um, going to L.A., rehearsing with all these dancers from the business, uh, getting to know some of them, then back to New York, 
We're going to dance at Radio City Music Hall. Yeah. You know, going through the rehearsal process, all of that. Yeah. And then the actual performance on the MTV Awards live on television. And that's when the MTV Awards were like an event. Oh, God. You know, yeah. that was like, they were a thing. Yeah, people don't even know how, how big of a deal MTV was. It was <laughs> no, I was like, that was everything. Was you know, everything. being on MTV, like, especially as a dancer. Yeah. That was like, you made it. Oh, right? big time. So I went from just being this college student that didn't even know I was even thinking about having a dance career or anything like that. Wow. To all of a sudden, I always say this way, like, I literally slid my head between Britney Spears' legs <laughs> and got the close-up from the camera on MTV, and it was like, oh, shit, I like this, you know? <laughs> and so, like, later on that night, you watch the award show back, and I get to see it, yeah. you know, and you see your face on TV and all that, and I said, I think I might want to try to do this, mm. you know? So that was, like, my taste of the business of of the excitement around it and the yeah. hard work that it took, like being in the rehearsals and all that for that. And, and that was the first time I thought maybe I want to try to have a career. How old were you at that point? I guess I was about 21. That's the equivalent to being a professional athlete, right? I mean, at the end of the day, when you're, when you're talking about a young man at 21 years old, you have no grip on, on, no. on life and long term. So I had no grip. <laughs> Zero. And, well, I mean, and, and we want to. We, we're never going to get to to the to the meat of the matter because I kind of temper the expectations with people. At the end of the day, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. But the the now everyone's talking about the science of the male brain. Twenty five years old, not even fully settled. It makes sense that we're making tons of dumb decisions, right? So that's a heck of a early breakout when you think about maybe what what it might take for some i've heard of like morgan freeman he doesn't break into the hollywood until he's like 45 it's like yeah so we talking about that's a nice that's a pretty nice launching pad britney spears and it was <laughs> I, I recognized how you know how lucky i was yeah, yeah, yeah. to have that opportunity Heck yeah. because i knew so many dancers that had been in la for five years grinding taking class auditioning trying to get a break yeah. and still not managing to get that, that bigger moment. Ooh. And I got it without even really trying, which was awesome. It is. But that same kind of, you know, lucky type of moment haunted me mm. later on. Okay. So we oftentimes talk about it and I know that, um, a lot of your story, t um, it, it, it bleeds into the oversaturation. I've, I've, I've read some things and of course we've had some great dialogue in the past, what was life like growing up for Dan Carity that was, you know, was it, you know, was it stable? Was, was it volatile? Because oftentimes when you arrive at a place of success, we don't know what the formative process is that makes even a young man to aspire to do certain things. So was home stable? Was life stable? And what caused those create, you know, those insecurities maybe as a young man where, where maybe the success started to crack open some of the uh, challenges. Yeah, I was actually a fortunate kid. Good for you. I had two great parents, uh, four older brothers and sisters who took good care of me. You know, I kind of had all of the things that I needed and sure. wanted growing up. The one thing that I thought was awesome at the time that probably worked against me mm -hmm. a little bit was that being the, the fifth of five kids, sure. by the time my parents got to me, they were like, all right, listen, <laughs> we're not going to chase you around. We're not watching over you, yeah. you know, and watching your every move. Here's what you need to do. Yeah. You need to get good grades. Yep. You need to keep playing soccer. I was a soccer player. Nice. And you need to keep dancing at the studio. My parents owned a dance studio. Right? Oh, snap. So this is built in. You yeah, yeah, yeah. My parents were, were Broadway dancers way back in the day and stuff. And so nice. I kind of grew up in that entertainment 
industry. Nice. But they laid those three rules out for me, right? Sure. You do these three things, you can do whatever you want. Ooh, oh, God. And I love you, mom and dad. No. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, this is perfect, you know? Yeah. And, and again, fortunate, like school came pretty easy to me. Okay, so that's I, good. I got good grades. Yeah. I was captain of my soccer team and I was a good dancer. I'm doing those three things. I'm going to party too. <laughs> and I, I started partying. At what age did you have your first drink, first first drunken experience? Uh, 14. Yeah, you and like me my, both. 14. I, I probably had my first drink like somewhere in eighth grade, something like that. But my first drunken experience at 14. Yeah. Um, and blackout. Like just day one, I drank two blackout. Yeah. And I thought that's what you did. If I didn't black out or run out of alcohol, why am I doing this? Like it's, That's the whole point of it. Oh, man. I had older brothers sure. who had already done this. Mm. So my parents had already been down that road. They'd seen it. And it didn't affect what I was doing. It never affected my grades. Yep. Never affected my soccer play, me showing up at the dance studio, all those things. So it honestly never got questioned. I mean, yeah. I would come home and throw up in the toilet. My mom would rub my back. You know, I was like, and there was no punishment for it because we had our agreement yeah. that I was going to do those things. Everything's in line. And I kept it in line. You're my brother from another mother. Same, <laughs> same, same type of deal. My mom would buy my alcohol. Um, you know, her thought process was I'd rather have them, you know, drinking and smoking inside than out on the street. So we created a safe haven for it. I was the most popular kid, one of the most I popular bet, kids. I bet, <laughs> right? right? We're going well, to David's house. <laughs> no doubt. And obviously, you know, we, we, we progressed beyond it. You know, like, and I think when you, you get to the place where you, at what point in your career, right? And so now this is who Darren Carrot is. You're successful, wildly successful. But, you know, you got this hidden vice that you probably don't even know is truly a vice. Along the way, at what point did you start thinking about it or was someone telling you about maybe you should curb this? Um, was, it, was it as you were rising to throughout your levels of success? No, unfortunately, no one ever questioned it. No, never. Be, not, until, not until I met my wife. <laughs> Man, well, I guess my girlfriend was the first one. She was a girlfriend at the time. Yeah. <laughs> Something different about her. Yeah, you know, it's, I, I had this ability to... My drinking was going like this, but my career was going like this. Wow. At the same pace. And I developed a serious entitlement complex. Uh, I thought, I deserve this. Mm. Look how great I'm doing. And I'm making more money. And I'm working with this star and that star. And I'm, I'm traveling the world and all these yep. things. So no one said anything to me because I don't think anyone noticed anything. Wow. I still looked good. I was still at the gym, yep. 6 a.m. every morning. You Ooh. know, I looked the part. I acted the part. I was still Mr. Reliability. Still it there. never changed any of that. You know, I, I was never late, you know, and, and always got the job done and all of those things. So, so nobody blinked an eye at it. It makes sense. You know, and, yeah. and, and even myself, like when you, when you said, did I notice like that it was a problem or anything? I didn't. I just thought I should be doing this. I have every right to do it, so I should be. In light of all the, the demands, the success, I'm meeting the deliverables, I've done what mommy and daddy asked. Yeah. We, we hitting all the boxes. It's it. And, and, you know, in hindsight, and I try not to look back too much no, and agreed. regret, but there are, God, what could have been? Sure. And what is? Mm. I, are, are probably not even close. Right? Mm. Now, maybe I would have ended up going in a different direction. Sure. If I had a clear mind. I don't know. Yep. But it's, I built no relationships 
over the years mm. because outside of work, drinking was the most important thing to me. Wow. So when we rapped on a gig, I didn't hang around. I wasn't hanging around to get to know you. Yeah. I wasn't going out for drinks with, with the crew to get to know them and build relationships. I wanted out of there and I'm going to go find my drinking buddies and we're going to get drunk. Just get loaded. And so it's like, I kept get hot, getting hired by reputation. Sure. But not by relationship. Wow. Because I, I built no relationships, no long lasting relationships. Wow. Let's get into the weeds of it. Cause you actually, I mean like you talk about some of the most popular personalities and popular, even popular shows, you know, like I believe you did some guest judging and things of that nature. Yeah. What would you say is the, the time where you're at the pinnacle of your success um, in, in, in your field in entertainment? So I got hired to be one of the first judges on So You Think You Can Dance wow. um, on yeah. Fox, right? Jeez. And this is like one of those entitlement moments, yeah. right? So I'm choreographing and I'm dancing and I'm working with Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears and Jessica Simpson and people like that. But even I was kind of saying to myself, because like I said, I was not the best choreographer <laughs> and I knew that, right? But I'm like, so what's going to be the next move, whatever? And boom, I get hired by So You Think You Can Dance. Now I'm going to be an on-camera personality, personality, right? So it's like that same thing. Just go moving along and everything keeps going. Well, you know, this is one of my little sayings. I said, man, the devil can bless you, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> the devil can bless you too. He rolled up on Jesus like, hey, man, you want the kingdoms? <laughs> yeah. And, well, and this is when I said to you earlier about like things sort of maybe coming a little too easy. Sure. A lot of right place, right time, you know, just blessed moments of meeting the right people and wow. who just kind of pulled me along. And so it's like, this wave kept going and I just kept riding the wave. Gotcha. And so, so you think you can dance. Everyone thought it was going to be this one season flop, go away. Cause no one's interested in dance. Right. Yeah. Our first couple episodes, we're getting 10 million viewers, God you know, it exploded. <laughs> and so now all of a sudden I'm, I'm being recognized on the street yeah. and, you know, getting preference at, Clubs in LA and all this kind of stuff. Oh, oh boy. And as I mean, I would be lying if it didn't say my head oh, man. was could... just, <laughs> you know, I thought I was something special. Glory is the most no. addictive poison. Um, I think, I think it's just, you know, good old Lord of Rings, all these little fun little movies they illustrate. It's just, it's just not healthy for us. Yeah. Uh, you know, I tell people I could take a drive by, but I can never park my van in, in, in celebrity culture. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I drive through and, and it's, now you're originally from New Jersey. You yeah. Know, what part? New Jersey. Bergen County. So listen, Jersey's the greatest, you know, just all the listeners out there. Jersey's is the greatest. The reason why Dan was hired is because he's from Jersey. I mean, like it's crazy. Oh, that's it. <laughs> Jersey boy through and through and they knew it. <laughs> yeah, man. Now, well, there's no rivalry in relation to taxes from Bergen to Essex, but, um, you know, definitely, I think the two highest tax counties. In, in, but at the end of the day, well-rounded people. And I think that's probably what you represent is someone who's hardworking, well-rounded, reliable. That's hard to find in the, in the marketplace reality, you know, like, but all right, so talk to me about what was the most painful, right? So even when we consider moments of success, you're kind of talking about your cadence and what made you successful. But what, what were some of the hiccups and disappointments maybe along the way? And I know that obviously, you know, your relationship with alcohol is tying you to this moment. of. But what was some of the unhidden, the, the hidden failures, maybe the story that people didn't know um, that really allowed you to climb or ascend to some of that? 
the failures as a career. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't talked about this before, but I, um, on the show, on So You Think You Can Dance, I was one of, and I'm comfortable saying this, I was one of the best judges on the show. Excellent. Uh, I think my journalism background yeah. helped me watch something, put it into words, and say it very clearly. Mm. And I was able to do that. I was able to take my dance background with yeah. my journalism background and use it. And that, that made me a good judge sure. on the show. My choreography on that show was not good. Mm. I did not do the job that I was hired to do as a choreographer. And that started to eat away at me and eat away at my confidence. Mm. And I was seeing the other choreographers were doing on the show sure. and watching what I was doing and saying to myself, I'm not <sighs> rising to the occasion the way I need to be. Yeah, this is good. But what started to happen to me at that time was instead of saying after a crappy rehearsal and knowing it wasn't going to be good, instead of going home, renting rehearsal space and going in the room and working my ass off and figuring it out. Sure. I got out of rehearsal and I went to the bar. It is. And I would drink it away. And yep. I'll, I'll deal with it tomorrow. Are you tired of losing your bets? Our sponsor, Betting.us, is here to help. With expert analysis, up-to-date odds, and insider knowledge, our team of sports betting professionals will guide you to victory. Bet smarter and win bigger with Betting.us. So that's so great because we talk about self-awareness was always my superpower. You know, I can't say that, um, you know, and I had I had this struggle up till 24 as well, but at the end of the day, the only thing that allowed me to create avenues of success was being aware of who I was. And so you have this moment, but you just kind of make the wrong, wrong shift, wrong response, wrong decision. I could rattle off, the, you already named a few, from the, the people that you've worked with, the level of success even as a judge. How did you and your wife come together? And, and what was the moment of, of true like, man, she's right? Because that really is like a, a stop in time kind of moment. Because I, I think we could all rem- remember the moment that it stopped. You know, speaking to you and, and talking to you about your story, you figured it out a lot quicker than I did. <laughs> Fortunately for you, unfortunately I had for a myself. Lo- I had a lot of powerful, invisible help. You know, I was pretty honest. <laughs> I, yeah. I took a long run doing the things we were just talking about. Sure. And instead of figuring out how to solve my problems, just drinking them away. And then walking away from the choreography career. Instead of buckling down and I'm going to figure this out, just walking away. Wow. Luckily finding more TV jobs and I kept the whole TV thing going and sure. I'm still doing the TV thing to this day. Yeah. But I met my wife um, two or three seasons into So You Think You Can Dance. Gotcha. And like, I mean, I, I was I was done from the first time we met. It yeah. was I, love, I love hearing these stories. <laughs> it was, never gets so when somebody finds a wife. It's like, I can tell you love your wife. You know, so I was pretty- having lunch with a friend and she walked, she was friends with him and she walked in to say hello. And she said hello and walked to the bathroom. And I was like, yo, <laughs> who's, that? who's that girl? And he's like, leave her alone. She just got out of a relationship. And I was like, yeah, I can't do that. I can't do that. Sorry. I cannot came, promise. <laughs> she came back to the table. I chatted her up for like two hours uh, and we went on a date a couple nights later and we've been together ever since. Fantastic. But she like three months in, started questioning my drinking. Mm. Um, just, you know, I would have a particularly bad night. Yeah. And yeah. the next morning she'd be like, what is that? You know, what are you doing? That is not okay mm. to drink like that. And being the entitled manipulative <laughs> guy that I was, 
I would show her all the fluff all around and look at the jobs and the people I'm working with and I'm on TV. Wow. And so peacocking. Yeah. And, and I was so manipulative yeah. that I would convince her that this was okay. Yeah. And, and just get her to change the subject and we would move on. And she always said throughout all our years together, we've been together for almost 17 years now. Excellent. She said, the one thing that will break us up is the way you drink. Wow. And I just wouldn't change, you know, and I would yeah. do whatever I had to, yeah. to prove to her. Right, that I was, didn't need to. Yeah, like so. It's amazing. Instead of looking inward and looking at myself and saying, "Hey, I got a, I got a problem." Sure. So, everything was about how am I going to prove to her, right? So after a really bad few day episode, at one point after we had been together for a few years, she threatened to leave. I said, "Oh yeah, I'm totally fine with. It. I'm, not, I'm just, I'm going to stop drinking," and I ran the New York City Marathon. Right, I trained for six months and I went and ran the marathon, but all to go. You see, you see, like to prove to her, just to prove, not to prove to me, oh, to man. prove to her. Yeah. And then a month or two after I ran the marathon, I was drinking like Jeez. I always was, you know. You and that never stopped, and it only got worse. And I told her it'll change when we get married. It'll change when we have kids. Mm. It'll change when the kids are old enough to notice. And it only got worse. Obviously, I know you're sober today. And, you know, like you, you have a Dan Carity podcast. And, and, and this is a central to the theme. And at the end of the day, overcomers help people overcome. You know, so this is who you are. That's why I love you. Like, so we, sh we share that common bond. It's so profound because so many people obviously struggle with, you know, just substance abuse, period. Have, did you ever identify what the pain was, right? Because typically, we're usually masking some type of pain with any any measure of substance, marijuana, cocaine, whatever our choice of drug, even sex, any typical addiction usually is overriding a pain. Is that something that you ever found in your journey in recovery? What I have found is that I never, ever talked about my feelings. And, you know, when I told you that I grew up in this very loving, very supportive family, sure. which I did, but we were very surface. Got it. We didn't talk about how you're feeling. We talked about the Giants. Yep, yep. And the Yankees and politics. Yep. You know, but we didn't talk about how are you feeling today? Yeah. Like, how are you really feeling how today? How are you really feeling? Or, you know, not how's your job, but like, what do you really want to do? Yeah. What do you, we, that, we never got into that. Got it. And I never realized that. And I had different disappointments or just upsetting relationships and different things throughout my life. And moments in my career where I wasn't choreographing well, like yeah. different things like that. But instead of ever discussing any of it with anyone, I just buried it. Ooh. And I didn't realize I was burying it. Yeah. I had no idea. Subconscious. But that's yeah. what I was doing. And as I got older and different things started to rise up along the way, I didn't know how to handle anything because I didn't know how to talk about problems. Mm. When my wife would come to me to talk about a problem in our relationship, I thought she was nuts. I would look at her like, what is wrong with you? Everything is wonderful. How, why can't you see that? Hey, listen. You know, because I didn't know how to talk about anything. You know, the funny thing about it, even when you just look at life, because it doesn't, now you, you're healthy and you probably still have some of the same dynamics in, in a healthy marriage. It's like, even when things are good, it's like, well, well, 
Well, you know, thank God for wives, right? At the end of the day, they digging, 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 digging. <laughs> yes, they can. They are human excavators of the soul. <laughs> okay. Yes, they are. No, but I totally, I totally get where 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 you're at. In light of it, like as as she obviously brought you to that moment of decision. What was the day you had that last, and you made that decision to? And I know, I know, it's a constant commitment. Um, over and over, but but how long has it been? You know, how how do we celebrate victory continuously? And where does your passion moving forward as you're you know continue to take that platform to serve others? So my my kids became my motivating factor. It's huge to get sober, right? It's like my poor wife asked me so many times to get sober, and for some reason, I wouldn't do it for her. Yeah, but my daughter recognizing how awful I looked. Uh, wow. And just how different I was acting and everything. That made me decide this is enough. How old was she? She was nine years old at the time. She looked scared. Yeah. Scared for her dad. And that, I just felt wrong. And I said, I can't do this to them. I was doing this to myself. I was doing it to my wife, but I can't do it to them. Yeah. I walked into the guest room. My wife was staying in the guest room at the time because she couldn't stand the sight of me. Oof. Or the smell of me, for that matter. And uh, <laughs> I had that Honest. that brief moment where I admitted, like, I I can't figure this thing out, mm. and I need help. It was the first time I said that, and she had me in rehab 40 hours later. What's her name? Natasha. We love you, Natasha. Yeah. <laughs> God, she, I don't know why a, that woman stayed with me, but <laughs> she did. Uh, you know... But, we definitely got obviously like a lot of comments. I said my wife got me broke twice. I was a drunkard all through college, and um, there's something special about a special woman. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously everybody's out there looking for the special woman, but when you're when you're fortunate to get one, it's it's obviously life changing. But obviously, she was clearly the anchor and that that beautiful princess of yours. She doesn't get enough credit, right? Mm. Because. Everyone loves to come up to me and say, man, you look great or you're doing great or I'm so proud of you, whatever. Yeah. She's been holding it down <laughs> for God knows how long. Amazing. I was her third child for a long time, <laughs> you know, and she was holding us together as a family. Yeah. And then I was gone for 31 days and she took care of everything. Care of everything. And then in my early recovery, it was still a lot on her. Sure. And she still gave me the space to be selfish, for lack yeah. of a better term, and focus on myself yeah. and what I had to do on a daily basis in the beginning to stay sober yeah. and stay on the right track. And she did that. And, and I realized, as I said, my kids were my motivating factor. Excellent. But I realized within two or three days in there who I, I started to recognize who, who I am. Yeah. I started to find that guy again. And I realized very quickly I wanted to be sober for me. Also, yeah, it's huge and sober for my wife and just sure. and in sober in this life yeah. because I've had everything around me. I've been surrounded by the love of, of my family. Yeah. But the love of my wife. <laughs> yeah. My kids. I've had everything. What was I out there looking for? Man. I don't know, but I yeah. was convinced that I needed that car and I needed to go on that vacation and, yeah. and I needed to live in that house. And Man. I was living for all the wrong things sure when i had everything i wanted right around me it's always so powerful because we see this lived out and um obviously everybody has to go on their own journey per se but at the end of the day 
the things that are true will always hold to be true. Everybody's looking for purpose, right, and peace. And, you know, we we find things typically to supplant what should be happening within, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I, I just know it's, it's the timing of it all. You know, my son, my firstborn son, he wasn't enough to change me from, you know, stop drinking alcohol, but he was a motive. He was the biggest motivating factor in changing me from becoming an imbecile. Like you have a child at 21 years old, you immediately become responsible for another human. Yeah. And uh, so it's kind of like, wow. Okay. Right. And, um, but it really just did take a coming to terms. Like when I, I got arrested on marijuana possession and that was my, I need help. You know, like, yeah. and, and, and fortunately, God was at the other side of my help, as well as a few other central people. When you think about not just this moment of overcoming, coming into sobriety, because it is a championship moment, man, because at the end of the day, you got to get life right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, you know, you know, we're, we're reaching for success here on Catch the Moment Podcast. We're talking about the process. But at the end of the day, if we don't get life right and begin to live from within, then what is it? There's there's no fulfillment, right? Yeah. So, what are some of the values that not that not only gained you success, but what are some of the values that you live your, that you shape your life your life around today that makes it more meaningful? I was searching before I went in to rehab. I had been searching mm. for what I don't really know. Sure. But I felt lost, and. My oldest brother is a very spiritual man. Okay. And I started calling him, asking him questions. Just about anything. Yeah. What am I doing here? What, why am I here? Sure. Why do I have this? What, what do I want out of my life? How am I supposed to be a dad? I was trying to play God yeah. to my kids. Yep. Right? And thought I could give them everything. Sure. And when I went to rehab on that first night... I laid in bed and I just looked up and I just said, I give up. I give up, you know, and different people have different reactions to something like this. Sure. But I went to sleep that night and I woke up the next morning, the most carefree I had been since I was a kid. True surrender. And I didn't even know what to make of it other than I felt I felt great. That burden off. <laughs> and yeah. I started to recognize that not only do I not have to control everything around me, yeah. that I don't have control there you of go. everything around me. Well, I hope they heard that one clear. Go ahead and say that one more time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not, not only do you don't have to, but you can't. Right? Exactly. And that was just, it's not how I looked at life for 25 years. Wow. You know, and when I came home, you know, what I should be doing for my family, trying to lead by example. Sure. You know, and trying to show my kids. Yep. Instead of tell my kids. Yeah. Or do for my kids. Yep. Yep. Right. It's changed everything. Man, it's changed everything for me. You're a huge victor because, like I said, when we talk about our stories, um, you know they're, they're lived out, right? And I think the the you know obviously I'm a I'm a half a holy wacko, but you know seven kids, 
I'm living my life out in front of my kids in a way where it's speaking to them about what I believe to be true, right? And it's kind of what we're alluding to, you know, something, the innocence of a child and the vulnerability of a child really puts you in a position of, of considering your ways. If you're a fairly decent human, <laughs> right? Yeah. right? I know we got so much going on in this, in this crazy world, but it, it's done the same for me. It, I said the, the gift of having a family has positioned me to reflect on everything, every decision, because I know that it's not isolated. Every decision I make, it affects people. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, like your story is just kind of oozing that maturity process, but also because real sobriety is having the clarity of mind and the peace of mind that gives you peace, true peace from within and not trying to masquerade and find all the trinkets of the, of the world. Yeah. So in, in light of kind of arriving to these conclusions, also continue to maintain these, these spaces of influence and impact in entertainment and culture, what would you say is your defining moment? Oh, man. My defining moment. Defining moment. If, in your own choice, in, in, any, in any sphere of influence. I think by my second or third day home from rehab, before my kids went to bed, I brought my wife into their room and I sat down with my kids and talked for a few minutes and then prayed with them. Now, praying is not something I know how to do Mm -hmm. or do particularly well. And I was always so even around like a Thanksgiving table. Sure. Very uncomfortable with because I thought there was something I was supposed to say or a way to do it. (laughs) And I was so uncomfortable with all of it. And just going in there, being vulnerable to my kids, talking about where I just was at that moment now, back home with them and with my wife and with them and then praying with them, I felt like set the tone for how we're going to try to do things moving forward in our house. And I think it set the tone for me and for my wife because she didn't know who was coming home from rehab, right? You know, that's a powerful statement right there, you know. You know, as you said, I kind of, I got chills because it's the it's the other side that, as you said, you know she's your hero because it's the other side of what makes life really work. Someone who believes you, yeah. believes in you. She didn't know what was coming home. No, you know, you talk about that leap of faith. That yeah, different people take. My wife has taken a leap of faith for me like six times. <laughs> you know, and it's like, and this this. Final time was sure. when I came home from rehab and trusting that uh, he's he's going to get it this time. Yeah. It's going to work this time. Yeah. You know. Everything about your journey because it's so, you know, obviously just, you know, us showing showing each other a little bit of love on uh, on, on social media. And, um, you know, like I said, the intersection of sports and entertainment is kind of reaching its all-time high. But when you get a chance to meet real people, real time, real stories, real impact and it's all doubling over, you know, just to encourage you. And um, I mean, there's so much redemptive purpose even in it all. And you're, you're walking in it. And I think, you know, that's no surprise to God at the end of the day. Um, but even more so there's, I just feel encouraged to let you know that there's nothing lost in the past. You know, mm-hmm. there's going to be a restoration of time and um, your story's going to continue to, you know, just resolve. What are, What are you most excited about moving forward? It's stuff like this. Yeah. Uh, I was so disconnected from the world. Sure. Uh, I lived in a very lonely place um, and avoided everyone and avoided every conversation 
possible. I did not want to talk to anyone Man. in fear that you might see the real me. Right. And, <sighs> and since being sober, I have connected with so many people and have real conversations with them. Yeah. About sports and politics, sure. but about life and I'm about our life. kids and about how we feel and about our faith and about yeah. whatever it may be. And just to continue to connect and see how much good there is out in the world. Sure. You know, that feels fantastic. And I feel like I've grown so much in just these two years Amazing. that I, I can't imagine where it's going to go. It's, I, I love that you say that. And I know that's that, that feeling of coming into a new life, right? So it's, it's like, as you're sharing with it, what has been the great, like, whether it's a relationship and experience since you've come into this this new life of being receptive, aware, vulnerable, what has been a, a either a relationship or an experience that you just been like overwhelmed by? Like, you know what? I never imagined I'd be sitting here with this person doing this. I, it sounds corny, but it's like this. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's the easy way out there. No, no, no. But it's, me, it's, no, I got it's, you, brother. No, you know, it's, it. it's, I mean, every day I have one, you know, where I'm just driving in the car with my kids. Yeah. And in, when I used to drive in the car with the kids, it's I'm already playing ahead, looking at the clock. What time do they get dropped off? What time is this? What time is it? So that I can get my drink in. Yeah. Right? That's all I thought about. Wow. Now I actually have real conversations with my kids. So amazing. And they're so freaking fun. <laughs> it's, it's the best. But when I was at the Super Bowl, sure. Right? I Luckily, my brother-in-law doesn't drink. Right? Ooh. So I didn't get to drink that much. That day. <laughs> And so I remember that game clear as day, which yep. I can't say for a lot of the games. And being in that kind of moment and watching a guy like you yeah. have that kind of moment, I never in a million years would expect that I could sit at a table uh, and have a conversation. And I wouldn't have yeah. until two years ago when I got sober. Amazing. It wasn't an option yeah. for me because one, I wouldn't have been seeking it out. Sure. And- I just wouldn't have allowed things to align for it to happen. Mm. Oh, Mr. Reliable, man. I think it's, it's coming to its full, <laughs> <laughs> it's full maturity, man. I, I think, um, number one, what I love about your story as an overcomer is who you are that made you successful will always ring true. Right. And I think I know how it feels to kind of be chosen, right? It's like being a pickup game at, at, on a basketball court, you know, and um, I think everyone has a hard time when people just are chosen. Mm -hmm. And um, although it does leave people exposed and sometimes left out, I think that's the whole idea is that we're, we're moving into the spaces wherever, wherever God will find us, whatever, you know, the path will lead where we can find that place where we're chosen and we enter into peace and purpose. And it looks like Dan Carity, old Mr. Reliable is moving into it, man. So may your story continues to inspire and I'm, I'm just thrilled to, to continue to nurture a relationship. Just give us one last plug where we can catch you. Um, what, are you mo what are you doing right now so that we can all be up to date on, on uh, you know, the exciting things that you're brewing into? Uh, I mean, my favorite thing that I do right now is my podcast, Dan Carity, if I'm being honest, um, just to get to sit and okay. know people and have conversations and let them share their stories as well. And then I have a book coming out as well in nice. September. Um, it'll be yep. out called if I'm being honest also. You got to hook so. me up with your, with your publishers. Hi, man. I got to, you know, I'm out here in these streets. I got to <laughs> 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 
Well, listen, make sure you check out Dan Carity on social. Um, check out the podcast. Is you know, check out my episode. We had a blast. I could have talked to this dude for three hours. Could talk to him for another three hours. But um, we're gonna we're gonna sign out today, man. Thank you for, just for being you, authentic, holy given, for being an overcomer and a champion for so many people in this current current day. Because uh, we all need it. Absolutely, man. Thank you. Just appreciate the, the friendship and the time and the conversation. Just getting started. Yeah, man.